Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. This is David and Tracy Sellers, and we have made Vows to Keep. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, the other day I was in the middle of an important conversation with someone and my phone rang. And you've probably been there before. I looked to see who it was. I almost didn't answer. In fact, I answered it on the last ring. It was a friend named John. And John was a college buddy of mine who I talked to probably once every few years at best. But it was the timing of his call that just didn't seem normal to me. It was midday. I knew John was at work and he's a diehard. So I answered the call with a good natured, hey, how's it going? He immediately cut to the chase. One of our joint friends, Jared, from back in the day, had committed suicide. John knew nothing more. My heart sank. Jared was a busy guy. He had four kids at home. He had a committed wife. He owned and operated a successful auto business, which is kind of how John and I knew him. But he was just barely over 40 years old. I was stunned because out of the clear blue, I had actually texted with Jared just days ago expressing my appreciation for him and saying, hey, how can I pray for you? He responded with a message asking me to send his wife flowers on their anniversary, which was a couple months away. At the time, I thought, man, had their marriage maybe hit a rocky spot? And so I inquired in my text response. And Jared had texted back saying, you know, everything's fine, but I know she needs as much love as she could get. I prayed for him, but then had to take a work phone call. Well, unbeknownst to me, Hours later, Jared ended his life. Now, to be fair in my description of this friendship with my friend Jared, I hung out with him regularly from like 2001 to 2004. And when I moved out of the area, we faithfully still texted every couple months. And I talked to him several times a year over the last 10 plus years. I even flew to his area one time and saw him about four years ago. We talked about life and family and work, but especially we talked about souls. Jared was someone who would always lift people up. He was someone who was typically always looking for perspective in any hard time or any hard story you might share with him. Jared pursued religion deeply. He even considered himself someone of faith. He went to church weekly, but his words and his actions revealed he didn't know the God that I know. Unfortunately, he attended a church which didn't see Jesus for who he really is. They talked about Jesus, but they made it clear where Christians were going wrong. Well, because of this, it had been my goal to witness to him about a personal relationship with Christ Jesus for the same period of time that he was trying to convert me to his religion. We had a respectful but intentional debate for 14 years. It was in some ways harder because he knew all the right things to say. I'm sure you've got those kind of people in your life. He had all the Sunday school answers. In addition, he was faithful by all of the external measurements. The world will look at Jared and see a guy who cared about his religion. The problem was that Jared simply didn't believe the real saving truth of the gospel in his heart. I guess looking back, I suppose it was the knowledge of all that truth that I knew that he had that made him one of the last people that I would ever suspect would say, there's no hope, there's no value to life, I'm going to end it. 
As I sat there and I considered this just minutes after getting the news from John, I realized that Jared wasn't alone in his desperation. My sorrows for Jared's death needed to be a motivator for those who were still alive. And that's the first point I want to make today on Vows to Keep Radio. We see destruction readily in lives and in marriages all around us. And sometimes it's even in our marriage. You've got to let this knowledge be a motivator for you, not a demotivator that makes you stick your head in the sand. You see, the friend John who called me to report Jared's death, he was another classic case of a person that I see doesn't value his life. As I took inventory of people that I knew, there were many Jareds and many Johns. John is just one year older than me, and he is unashamedly in pursuit of the almighty dollar. In fact, today he has a construction-related business making millions each year, and he couldn't be more unfulfilled about it. The problem in his eyes is that it just isn't successful enough yet. And he's had that perspective for as long as I've known him. The conversation following Jared's death, John basically said in his own words what his actions had been saying for quite a while. I realized that I, as his friend, had been too optimistic about John's very weak display, and I put this in air quotes, of his faith. In conversations I had with John following Jared's death, he said, you know what, I believe religion is dead, and in his eyes, godliness was dying too. John estimated Christianity would be fully embraced as a mere historical myth in five generations or less. Now going back 17, 18 years, John was my first friend who relayed to me just a couple years into his marriage that he did not value his wife and he didn't like being married to her. Now they still went to church every Sunday and so he knew better than to say it in that way, but he made it pretty clear by the way that he talked about her. Now, John and I were both deep into cars, same as Jared, so we hung out together when there was something that needed to be done. Well, over the next three years before I moved away, John covertly reveled in his lostness while I nervously watched and was totally silent. He began to devote his life to his business and his cars. It was a progression that I wasn't around to see all of, but somewhere over the past 15 years, he went from pretending to have faith to now the week after Jared's death, flat out denying it. He was and is a person without hope or purpose beyond himself. And that's the second point I want to make. Do you know people that are without hope or purpose? Today's show isn't about suicide specifically. It's about people that take extreme steps based upon labels that they take on and lies they believe. Why am I telling you this? Because I don't think I'm alone. In fact, I think some of us have spouses and have friends that are physically and spiritually without hope. You know what? It might be you that's in that very place. And it's that cure that I want to look at. God's word is not silent about support and care before it's too late. And this is nothing new, is it, David? See, we can look at the pages of our Bible and we can see people like King Solomon. He shows how self-pursuits come without fulfillment and they contribute to a really terrible journey along the way. As people, as sinners, we reach for more and more and more, just like King Solomon did, and we're never truly satisfied. And then we can think about people like King David, a man who God blessed deeply at the prime of his life, though, he's not satisfied. So what does he do? He takes another man's wife and has an affair with her. Why? Many of us start out our married life with such optimism. I know Jared and John both did because I was there in the early years of their marriage. 
Trace, do you remember being 18, 19, 20 years old and thinking you've got your whole life ahead of you? Totally. I couldn't help but think about how my future wife, you, <laughs> would totally change the world with me. And getting married was this empowering link in that thought chain. I had someone who believed in me wholeheartedly, but I also had no idea that this optimism, when left to my own human capital alone, could one day run out. David, we're in our 40s now, and between the physical issues that come as we age and then the work we put in each week, only to have goals not yet accomplished, sometimes both you and I can get pretty burdened. Are we really that different from Jared or John? So it's with this question in mind, I go out and I hit the web. Now, according to so-called experts, a midlife crisis is a transition of identity and self-confidence that can occur in middle-aged men, mostly people like me. My first few searches captured the sentiment of pop psychology. The phenomenon as described by these experts is psychological crisis. Quote, unquote, right? Yeah, brought about by events that highlight a person's growing age, inevitable mortality, and possible shortcomings in life. Check, check, check. I've been thinking about all these things. The experts say that this produces feelings of depression, remorse, anxiety, and that's when divorce rates peak. A desire to make drastic changes to our current marriage and lifestyle to somehow achieve that happiness that we've been after our whole lives. Or maybe we're seeking that youthfulness and we're willing to do anything to make it happen. So these are people taking extreme steps based on labels that they take on and lies they believe. Was this what happened to Jared? Was John in the middle of this same struggle? What about us? What about you? So we did a little bit of research, and according to the World Health Organization, the average death occurs at 79 years of age in the United States. So depending on who you ask, from age 40 to about 55, most people start evaluating their life with some serious conviction or some serious consideration. And if we run with what society tells us, midlife crisis lasts about three to 10 years in men and two to five years in women. The American cultural stereotype of a man going through a midlife crisis usually includes a couple of things. Maybe you can actually beat me to the punch here. That's right. A purchase of a Corvette and or an affair with a younger woman, which often results in a divorce and maybe even a second marriage. The theory says a man's midlife crisis is more likely to be caused by work issues, whereas a woman's crisis by an unsatisfactory evaluation of their role. So the world, the experts say there are different reasons why men and women go through this midlife crisis, but the emotions are the key thing because they are definingly intense. As such, it's no surprise that one of the main characteristics of a midlife crisis, according to those whom I've talked to, is actually a loss of perspective, while at the same time thinking and being fully convinced you've gained perspective. Though there is no single cause, at the root of many cases is a person's inability to handle Suffering, like physical pain from a disability, mental anguish, loneliness, failure, or other factors. Hoping to get relief from their burdens, hundreds of people each day make tragic decisions like to terminate their marriage or sometimes their lives based on lies that they are believing or maybe a label that they've given themselves that they are in a midlife crisis. So somewhat depressed, (laughs) I wanted to move on to something else, but God pulled me back and back again with the truth that I had to share today. The truth is that what is commonly called a midlife crisis is actually something that starts with a spiritual crisis. These tragic decisions to go deep with someone besides our spouse or to buy that sleek new red convertible 
are preceded by months and sometimes years of spiritual falling down. And it can all begin with a small sin in our life that goes unchecked, and then it's enabled to grow bigger and bigger. Well, maybe you're like Jared or John. Actually, the battle for your soul has never even been won. Maybe you've prayed that sinner's prayer. Maybe you have accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ. A Christian life has not prospered the way you hoped it would be. And for this season, you've put yourself in control again. The third point today on Vows to Keep Radio is that in all of the physical pain, all the mental anguish, the loneliness, the failure, as believers, we have hope, we have a comforter, we have the Holy Spirit. There aren't words to describe the difference in going through these hardships with the Holy Spirit versus without. If you have not made a decision for Jesus Christ, you should know today that God is still in pursuit of you. Maybe he's using your spouse to draw you to himself. The Holy Spirit is still working in your life. He wants to be an advocate in your life. Tough times look different with Jesus than without Jesus. The world labels this outside condition, things like midlife crisis. But you know what? It's a little bit like calling cancer death. Now, cancer is a horrible thing. It's claimed the lives of people that I love. And the thing about cancer is that you can actually have it, sometimes even for long periods of time, and no one knows it. Now, I submit that many people who have been labeled with a midlife crisis label or some other thing, they're being labeled with the wrong diagnosis as they near the end of an untreated condition. To put everyone at ease, there is literally nothing which can be done. Midlife crisis is a wrong label, just like many others are, because it's too general. Just like death would be the end of many diseases. Imagine, you've got cancer, and we've never made an attempt to find the real problem in time to actually do something about it. The doctor walks in and says, you know what, I've got bad news, you're going to die. He explains the fact that there's nothing that he can do, because in all of his years of practice, he's seen no survivors of death. What I find interesting is that we can easily spot the spiritual condition in our spouse's life. Like easy peasy, right? They may not like that you're looking at this aspect of their life. They may not even agree with you. But as a spouse, you are well positioned to see the heart condition. Does your spouse have a heart pursuing Jesus? If not, do you see the underlying problem? How about you? Does your spouse see your heart of stone? I think too many of us are like the doctor who knows the patient really well who sees something is wrong, but avoids the loving process of actually getting to the root of the problem. Instead, we pick up the world's label and the path that it leads to as if there is nothing biblical which applies. Here's the scary part. In our own life, we miss a lot of times what everyone else can see clearly, especially our spouse. We think no one sees our struggle. It's just walls and limits everywhere. We feel trapped and alone. We believe Satan's lies like Jared did, that life is doomed. The pain we're in or are creating for others is just too great. And we believe lies like John does today, that success is measured in $100 bills and the lie that my sin is not visible as I strangle the life from my marriage, the lie that there's no path to happiness from here unless I make it myself. So we want to pose this as our fourth point today. Am I, or maybe someone I know, heading to a position of deep reevaluation of life? Are the warning signs of spiritual battle even evident now? And if so, are we using clinical labels to permit emotions which lead us to self-pursuits? As someone who counsels couples, we believe that a deep reevaluation in front of God is not a bad thing when it comes to life. 
but you've got to look at it through the biblical lens. If you look objectively, actually many stressors do pile up on us in our 40s and 50s. Whether it's you or your spouse, the overload needs to be brought down biblically, brick by brick. By breaking up the crisis into its components, we can go consult scripture. We can put these things before the Holy Spirit with ease. Where we get in trouble is when we lump them together and we label them as a condition that we can do nothing about. And that's when we get stuck in the quagmire of our emotions. Just as with every other issue of life, we need to understand what God's word says about each of the issues that we're thinking about and dealing with. Let me read you Ephesians 4. I'm going to pick up in verse 17. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of your thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's a key point. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Some, like my friend John, They take the license now to deny the power of God's word as if the Bible is devoid of viable solutions. The old self is at rule. And sadly, that's what the world encourages. Satan encourages a corruption by deceitful desires. Only an eternity of separation without God waits beyond this life for those who don't trust in Christ's redeeming work on the cross. And that's why David's passion for John, his friend, doesn't yield even today because John's crisis without Christ will only grow when we pray for the opportunity to be there when the hopelessness of his pursuits run out and he begins searching for a solution because we know that solution. Jesus is that solution. You've got people in your life that need that solution too. Some of us Christians, too, have a darkened understanding of our position in Christ and how to live out our life abundant here on earth. But we shouldn't be without hope. The thing is, too many of us Christians accept as a normal condition a quote-unquote hardening of our hearts. The midlife crisis label gives us license to lose all sensitivity and to give ourselves over to indulge into every kind of impurity. This sounds awful, but really it isn't new because if you look back in Genesis chapter 3, you read about Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. They chose to disobey God. They chose death and suffering, but they still retained their inherent value and design because they were created in God's image. Because their sin tainted their understanding before God, they needed to be spiritually transformed by the redemption that only God could give them. For only through Christ can we bear the true likeness of God. That's what Ephesians 4.24 tells us. Sadly, because of lies that we believe in times of suffering, people often still choose death for their marriage by having affairs and sometimes death for their lives, thinking one or both have no value. These lies also reveal something important about what we believe about hope. Affairs seem pretty clear-cut as biblically wrong, and yet they are an active temptation for us because it's a false hope for happiness. People end their marriages and even end their lives because of false hope. If only Jared knew the important truth over and over, we see that God is a God of life, not death. Jesus redeems for our life, not to add days to our time on earth, not to add wealth or prosperity here on earth, but a life lived with and for a purpose. And he's got a plan for our existence. 
How many of us know that scripture from Jeremiah 29, 11? Surely that plan is not an earthly death at our own hand or an unwholesome relationship with another woman, but surely that plan is for us to build his kingdom here on earth. Though the Bible never explicitly commands thou shalt not have a midlife crisis, it talks repeatedly about life and how we can best live it. In John 10.10, Jesus says, Here's the truth. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wants to give us the chance not only to live, but to live more fully than we ever could on our own. In fact, if you read John 14.6, Jesus emphasizes that he is life. And apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin. In a way, we're choosing death. If we reject the gift of salvation, we're choosing an eternal death, a spiritual death. We then, like Jesus, should keep in mind those around us who are facing not only marital suicide, but a spiritual suicide. Acts 16 tells the account of Paul and Silas in prison. I think it's really relevant because there's this earthquake that opens up the doors of the prison and the jailer believes something which is not true. He thinks that all the prisoners have escaped on his watch. So he strangely takes on this false hope that it would be better if he was dead and he draws his sword to kill himself. But Paul cries out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Paul shared the truth which saved the man's life. But then Paul and Silas actually shared the truth of Jesus Christ. And as a result, the jailer's whole family received Christ for a life that was eternal. As married people, we've gotta be on alert, not only for our own tendencies, but also for our spouse and our family and beyond, where we might be entertaining some labels, just like we've talked about with midlife crisis, which actually embolden us even entitle us to some ungodly steps which follow. Where are there signs of anxiety? Where are there signs of isolation? Where is someone exhibiting some just crash course, short-term sinful thoughts? We can't ignore those things. As Christ transforms us into his image, we've got to pray for his goodness to shine through us and to draw others to himself. At the very minimum, we should be strong enough to set up a meeting with a pastor or a biblical-based counselor like we have at Vows to Keep, who can help them and you address the issues by sharing biblical truth and answers of hope. And I also wanna encourage you, I think a lot of us do this. We start to just beg and pray that God would remove our loved ones from their struggles. But instead, I wanna ask you to pray that he would actually use the struggles to draw you and your spouse back to him. Through our own growth in Christ, our spouse may come to understand that they were actually created in God's image. They can conform to this image of his son after salvation. We should be willing to talk. We should offer love that's deeper, offer accountability, and share Christ's offer to actually bear their burdens. As Christians, your relationship with Christ should be a witness to those who believe that their marriage, or maybe even their life, isn't worth fighting for. I'll never fully understand why Jared chose to end his life or why John chooses to blow off his marriage in favor of his business, but the battle for my heart and your heart rages just the same as it does for theirs. We start life with this determination about who we will be and the potential of how we will change the world. And the myth encourages many people in their 40s and 50s to accept that they now are a victim in this world and no longer a fighter for its future. The label suggests that the crisis that comes in our midlife changes us to be people in pursuit of ourselves. Let it not be true of us as believers. We have the charge to fight for a kingdom not of our own. My prayer for you today and those who you know in the mid to later seasons of their lives would see that this is the time to step up, 
to take on the purpose of pursuing God's kingdom, sharing who Jesus is with greater boldness, being the accountability partner your spouse needs now, and watching for the warning signs of a spiritual battle in their life now, before a physical battle runs away with their future. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities, but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.